Chapter 17 of Boston Blackie by Jack Boyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Third Degree Chief Renter then climbed into his auto and was driven home to dine leisurely, while at Dave Jessen's bungalow a little old woman who reminded one of a fading flower fretted nervously as she kept an overdone dinner hot for the son who didn't and couldn't come. It was early in the evening, though Jessen was sure it must be early morning, when a door opened noisily in the corridor, and he heard voices nearing his cell. "'At last!' he cried, springing eagerly to the door. Suddenly his cell was flooded with light, though the corridor beyond remained in darkness. He waited, hot with impatience, for the welcome sound of the jailer's key in the lock. Instead, a wicket in the door was lifted, and a pair of eyes peered in from the outer darkness. There was a moment's silence, then a man's voice spoke. "'That's him,' it said. "'I could swear to him on a hundred Bibles.' "'Good,' replied Mulligan's heavy voice. "'We thought we had him right, but this settles it.' The wicket dropped, and the men started down the corridor. "'Come back!' shouted Jessen as he realized that they did not intend to release him. Take me out of this hole! I demand to be taken to the chief! Somebody's laugh came back through the darkness as the door at the far end of the corridor closed with a bang. Ten minutes later the same performance was repeated, and a new voice assured the detective that it would know that fellow's face anywheres. Again Jessen's shouts and demands remained unanswered, and the lights winked out. For the first time, Though the consciousness of innocence buoyed his drooping spirits, a numbing horror of the inconceivable thing that had happened overwhelmed him, exactly as Chief Renter intended. Back from dinner, Renter crackled his knuckles noisily as his men reported the prisoner's shouts and violent demands for a hearing, following the faked identifications. "'Fine!' he ejaculated. "'That stuff always jars their nerves, whether they're innocent or guilty. He's ripe now for a friendly heart-to-heart -heart talk.' Bring him in, boys, and see that the detectaphone operator is on my line, ready to get every word that's spoken in here. I'll cut out the parts of the talk I don't need afterward. That sympathy stuff you told us to spill about his mother seemed to hit him hard, suggested Mulligan. That's a trump card, replied the chief. Lead in the lamb and forget the bawling out I'm going to give you, boys. I want him to think I'm a friend. Jessen, fresh from the gloom of his cell, stumbled at the threshold as the detectives threw open the door of the chief's office. They pushed him roughly into a chair, his hands still bound by the steel cuffs, and the glare of a desk lamp full upon his face. "'Who is this?' asked Renter, looking up from a pile of reports in simulated surprise. "'Not Dave Jessen, handcuffed. Take off those bracelets, Mulligan.' "'They've had me locked in a dirty cell for hours, chief.' interrupted Jessen. I demanded to be brought here to you, but they only laughed. I told you to bring Jessen here to my office, but I didn't give you permission to treat him like a common crook, roared the chief angrily at his men. I knew this boy's father before he was born, and no matter what sort of trouble he is in, he will be treated right while he's in my custody, you blockheads, or I'll know why not. I didn't think it safe to take any chances after those two positive identifications, chief said Mulligan in mock humility, and you being out for dinner, I thought, you're paid to do what you're told, not to try to think, 
interrupted Render. Get those cuffs off his wrists and get out. I want to talk to this boy alone. As the door closed behind the detectives, the chief motioned Jesson to draw his chair closer. His manner was grave, sorrowful, deeply sympathetic. Dave, you're up against it hard. I'm your friend, but it's going to take every bit of influence I can swing to keep you out of stripes. He began with the air of a man who regrets his bad news. Old Clancy wants you prosecuted to the limit. How the devil did you ever come to lose your head and get tangled up in a mess of this kind? Prosecute me, echoed the prisoner. Surely you can't believe I'm guilty of the robbery on the Humboldt chief. On oh, my word of honor, I'm as innocent as you. I— Renter interrupted by laying a friendly hand on Justin's arm. Don't, Dave, he cautioned kindly. It's useless to deny facts. I'm your friend, willing to go the limit for you but you must be square with me. If there are others in this job, and you help to land them and get back the gold, I think I can save you, and I'll do it for the sake of your old mother and your dead father, God bless him. But you must tell me the whole truth. I've brought you in here alone so that no one but me will ever hear what you tell me tonight. It's your one chance, boy, and for the sake of your mother, who's worrying herself into hysterics already, don't throw it away. Chief, I'm innocent, but it is evident some blunderer has given you reason to believe me guilty, replied Jesson. I'll clear myself to your full satisfaction in ten minutes if you'll tell me exactly on what grounds you suspect me. Renter drew further into the shadow of the shaded lamps and fixed his eyes on the purser's face to catch the slightest betraying change of expression. "'Evidence against you has been coming in for two days,' he began. "'But I'll ask one question that will show why we first suspected you.' He paused, then thrust his face close to Jesson's and spat out his question viciously. "'What did you do with the two keys of the treasure room while they were both in your possession?' "'I never had both keys.' answered Jesson, unperturbed and without hesitation. "'From the moment we locked the gold in at Nome, Captain McNaughton—' "'Wait!' interrupted Renter peremptorily. "'I didn't say you had both keys after the gold was shipped. "'You couldn't have got them then. "'But on the way up to Nome, Jesson, how about that? "'Have you forgotten your story to the captain "'about showing the strong room to a curious passenger?' "'You're right about that,' admitted the purser slowly. "'I did get the captain's key while we were on the way up. "'But what of that? "'The treasure room was empty then.' I borrowed the captain's key to show the strong room to, a, to a, a passenger, one whom I had told of the millions in gold we would carry there on the trip home. How can you connect that with a robbery many days afterward? Renter was cracking his knuckles as he answered, Because while Captain McNaughton's key was in your hands, duplicates of it and of your key as well were made for the bullion robbers, who used the duplicates later to remove the padlock when there was something in the strong room well worth taking. With growing exultation, Renter saw the blood drain away from Justin's cheeks. Instantly he knew that his bold guess had found a vulnerable mark. "'What happened to those keys while they were in your possession?' he snapped. "'Did you let them go out of your hands, or did you yourself make duplicates?' Justin's eyes wavered and fell. 
For the first time, doubt of the ultimate outcome of his interview with the chief crept into his mind. "'I made no duplicates,' he said nervously. "'Neither key was out of my hands except for a single instant.' He paused, and Renter leaned forward, eager for the all-important mission to follow. "'While we were in the empty treasure room,' Jessen continued, "'the person to whom I was showing it remarked it was curious. Such frail bits of metal could protect such vast treasure as I described.' My companion took the keys from my hand and held them for a second. One dropped. She picked it up from the floor before I could stoop and handed both to me. "'A woman!' cried Renter, springing triumphantly to his feet at Justin's use of the feminine pronoun. "'I might have known there was a woman at the bottom of a job as clever as this. When she dropped the key and stooped for it, she took wax impressions of both of them, of course. That stunt's as old as the hills. Who is this woman?' She's the party I want now. Jessen's chin dropped to his chest. His strong brown hands were clenched. There was a long pause, during which the thought that he had been tricked by the girl he had learned to love on that last ill-fated voyage, the girl whose gentle no, when he had asked for her hand, had not lessened his love, seared his brain like molten metal. Could she have been guilty of playing upon that love? Her face, sweet, kind, and innocent, rose before him, and because he loved her, denied the accusation convincingly. If he named her, she, a woman, would be subjected to the tortures he was enduring. They might put her in a cell as they had him. Jessen straightened in his chair and met Renter's piercing eyes squarely. "'I won't tell you her name,' Jessen said quietly. "'It wouldn't be right.' I know she isn't a crook, but you won't believe that. You would do to her what you are doing to me. I won't name her. You'll go to the penitentiary if you persist in protecting this woman, crook. You understand that, don't you? asked Renter. If necessary, I'll go, replied Jessen wearily. If this girl's innocent, I won't harm her. If she's guilty... "'Unless you are her accomplice, why should you be willing to do time to protect her?' Renter asked, probing the one phase of the situation that still puzzled him, Jessen's apparently quixotic determination to sacrifice himself for a casual steamer acquaintance. "'I'm innocent, and you've harmed me,' the purser answered. The pair studied each other eye to eye. "'Chief,' began Jessen at last with a note of boyish appeal in his voice, I can understand how my refusal to name the girl who, unfortunately, has been dragged into this case, may seem suspicious to a man like you, whose business makes it necessary to suspect everybody. Even so, there's a spark of humanity in you, I'm sure. For her sake and mine, I'm going to tell you everything, and then I know you'll not demand her name. Go on, said Renter encouragingly. "'She was a passenger on the Humboldt, making the round trip to Alaska with us,' Jessen continued. "'She was alone, and I tried to make the trip pleasant for her, first for duty's sake, and then, when I grew to know her, because I treasured every moment I could be near her. Long before we reached Nome, I knew she is the one woman I want and shall always want for my wife.' "'Ah! On the return trip, I asked her to marry me.' She told me there is someone else, and 
Jessen raised a hand to shield himself from the coldly piercing eyes that never wavered from his face. I'm glad she's going to be happy. That's all there is to tell, Chief. Now you'll understand why I can't let the unlucky chance that led to the incident of the keys permit me to involve her even remotely in such a case as this. No decent man could do that. I know she's not a crook. Such a girl couldn't be. Renter pressed the button that summoned the waiting officers. Now I've got you just where I want you, my bucko, he exclaimed gleefully. The one thing I lacked to make my case complete was a motive that would explain why you try to protect the woman. You have just given it to me, the oldest and best motive in the world. Will you give me the name of this she-crook? Never, said Jessen. Take him away, boys, Renter ordered as his men appeared in the doorway. Tell Clark to take this fellow's Bertillon measurements and to mug him the first thing in the morning so I can give the afternoon papers his pictures tomorrow. This has been a neat piece of work, if I did do it myself. Jessen, as he rose to follow his guards, looked down on burly Larry Renter, half in hatred, half in scorn. I understand now how crooks are made, Jessen said, in a voice whose evenness failed to hide the tempests of bitter anger that shook him from head to foot. Larry Renter merely laughed. When Jessen had been lodged again in his cell, the chief called in four of his best men and gave them instructions for the continuation of the third degree. Handcuff him to a chair and keep at him without a second's let-up all night, he ordered. Never let him close his eyes. Never let him rest. Keep up a perfect stream of questions and drag answers out of him any way you can. Play on his love for his mother. Pretend that we have taken over the house to search it and turned her out. Pretend that we think she may have been implicated and that she is to be brought down here in the morning for the same kind of a deal he's getting. We'll take her through one of the cells for an instant tomorrow and let him see her there. That'll fetch him. Now go to it, boys. By the way, somebody better go out and talk to the old lady. She might tell something worth knowing. The men filed out. The result was a night of horror that Dave Jessen never forgot and never recalled without a shudder. While the stenographer was transcribing those portions of Jessen's statement in which he admitted having both strong-room keys, admitted that he had given them momentarily into the possession of a woman passenger, and in which he flatly refused to give her name, Chief Renter analyzed the results of his night's work. Jessen has told the truth from beginning to end, he decided. First, he was this unknown woman's goat. Now he is mine. It's a hundred to one without takers that she made impressions of the keys during the moment he left them in her hands. She had pals aboard, and of course they turned the trick. The chief chewed his cigar reflectively, and his thoughts brought a look of shrewd and ruthless cunning to his eyes. It's the luckiest thing in the world that this fellow is fool enough to refuse me the girl's name, he thought. If he had not done that, he would practically have cleared himself and put me up against the problem of finding the girl. As things stand now, I've almost got enough on Jessen to make a showing in court, and if I never find the woman of the gold, he gets all the blame. Anyway, it's a safe bet now that old man Clancy will be satisfied I'm big enough for my job. The fox-like cunning in the eyes beneath Renter's shaggy brows deepened. If Tatman would say Jessen is the man who hit him in front of the strong-room door, it was directly opposite Jessen's own door, too, my case would look good even before a jury, he reflected. 
That would be the final link in the chain. I'll have a talk with him. He ordered Tatman up from his cell. Tatman, said Render when they were alone, Purser Jessen has been booked for complicity in the bullion robbery. He took both keys to the strong room on the northbound voyage and admits he allowed them to go into the hands of a woman on board. He refuses to give her name. Were there any crooks on the Humboldt, either men or women, that you knew? The ex-convict shook his head. The chief continued, You're likely to stay inside a cell for a long time, Tatman. I'm fairly well satisfied you weren't in on this, but I can't let you go until I've cinched somebody. You understand that. Tatman grinned without replying. He was an old hand at the game and knew the chief's sudden consideration had an explanation. I've just been thinking, Tatman, that if you had caught a glimpse of the face of the man who hit you, and that man happened to be Purser Jessen, I wouldn't have any object in keeping you after you had identified him in court, continued Renter insinuatingly. It would be a mighty lucky break for you, old-timer, if you happen to be able to make that identification. I get you, Chief, said the convict. Leave me to him when you like. It might have been him, for all I know, and anyway, he's only a square shooter. Leave me to him. That's my answer. You understand I want only the truth, cautioned the detective. Tatman grinned knowingly. I understand, he repeated. End of chapter 17